encouraging others in loving Jesus. I am your host, Kim Smith, and we're on episode 117, the very first of our new series, More Than Conquerors. This is our introductory lesson, I guess you could call it. We've spent the last few months going through the first few chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. We've looked at Hannah's heartfelt prayer for a son and God's compassion toward her and providing her with Samuel and providing the nation of Israel with Samuel. We've seen Samuel grow. We've seen Samuel be a leader, a godly leader for the Israelites. We saw the Israelites fuss because they wanted to have an earthly king just like all the other nations not realizing that that was not what was best for them, but just as we so often think, they got it in their minds and they were not going to give up. And God said, I'm going to let you have it. And he gave them Saul. Saul stood head and shoulders above the rest when it came to physical stature. He would have been really good to put on a political billboard running for king of Israel. But the sad thing was, he was not a godly king of Israel. God used him in, in different ways, and God used him to get the Israelites in a better place from a military standpoint. But when it came to character, Saul was lacking so very many times. We've been introduced very briefly to young David. God told Samuel, You've mourned for Saul long enough because God had said that Saul is going to be a gone. He's just going to be gone. And Samuel hurt for the nation of Israel. He hurt for all that he had poured into Saul. He hurt just in so many ways. And God said, it's time. It's time to anoint the next, the true king of Israel, the true earthly king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to the family of Jesse in Bethlehem. Jesse shows him seven sons at the beginning, which is important today. At the beginning, Samuel sees the eldest, and again, he looks good on a political billboard, and Samuel automatically thinks from human standpoint, from human eyes, and says, he must be the one. And God teaches Samuel, as well as us, an important lesson that God looks at the heart. He looks well beyond what human beings look at, and he looks at the heart, and he had not chosen Eliab, nor had he chosen number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. And thankfully, Samuel did not settle. He did not settle for who his human eyes saw and go, okay, I must have to choose one of these seven because God said it was going to be a son of Jesse. And he asked Jesse, are these all of your sons? And, and Jesse's like, well, my youngest is out tending to the sheep. And Samuel said, call for him. And as soon as Samuel saw David, he knew. He knew that this was God's anointed one, not because of his incredible stature, but because God showed Samuel. And Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel. 
Now, was that going to occur within moments? Well, absolutely not. I mean, David was a young man, probably a teenager at this time. He was out in the field. He was taking care of sheep, and he received this anointing, but he doesn't receive the power. He doesn't receive the kingdom for many, many years. And then last week, we talked about the fact that David had a servant's heart, and we talked about the importance of you and I leading with a servant's heart. We saw that David, even though God had called him to be the next king of Israel, his initial calling from the kingdom was to come and play his harp for Saul. Saul was in a bad way. Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. As we've seen in the previous stories about Saul, Saul, well, he, he, he tormented himself. He made just really bad choices. He was so full of pride. And the fact that he was tormented by an evil spirit should not surprise anyone. And so the people said, we know of someone, well, his servants said, we know of someone who plays the harp and you know, we'll bring peace to you. And he called for David and David came and David played the harp for him. And it did bring a sense of peace to Saul. I'm just wondering how you did with your weekly assignment. Did you specifically put yourself in a place of serving another? And how did that work out? I would love for you to send me an email and let me know how these weekly assignments are turning out. My email is encouragingothersatlovingjesus at gmail.com. Would love to hear. All of that brings us to our first ever multi-episode series from this podcast. To this point, I think the most we ever strayed from the primary text was maybe a couple of weeks where we looked at the end of the year and the beginning of the year. But now we're going to go into this multi-episode series called More Than Conquerors. A few years ago when I was teaching through this passage being 1 Samuel 17 with my Sunday school class, this was the series that God laid on my heart. But that was in January of 2016 through either March or April. And I am such a different person from that time. Lord willing, I'm wiser. So I am not going to teach the same, uh, but I am going to use that as a launching point because I really loved what God did in me. And I'm trusting that he's going to do in and through you during this season. This particular season of encouraging others and loving Jesus. And this season of your life. Uh, as I am recording this, we are about to launch into the summer of 2021. Much is still happening. We are, in at least in the United States, in the latter parts of the COVID epidemic, um, pandemic, uh, life is going back to more normal, even though normal will never look the same. It is a great time to focus on the Lord of Heaven's armies. 
What I wanted to do today, so I did, I just wanted to introduce the topic of More Than Conquerors. We're going to spend a few minutes on the verse from which that phrase comes. And I'm going to read through 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to go into great detail. I just want, I want us all to just take a few minutes. And as we, as we look at the next few weeks and what God is going to do in our lives, I want us to go back to this text that if you were brought up in any sort of Protestant or non-denominational church, I don't see how in the world you couldn't have seen a flannel graph or have heard the story of David and Goliath over and over and over again. But one of the things that I've realized about my own life, and you may very well have realized as well, is those stories that were taught to us as children, they apply. No matter whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, these are not children's stories. Are children able to apply them? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we are God's children, and we will always be able to apply His Word. And the story of David and Goliath is how it's referred to in Scripture. There are so many applications to wherever you are in life right now. In a couple of weeks, I'll be asking you, to send in, to, to send into my email the giants that you are facing currently in your life. I want you to be thinking about that even now as we talk about the physical giant that David faced and that the army of Saul didn't face. Next week, we're going to talk about the most important part of the story, in my opinion. And that's where David focused. Instead of focusing on the giant, primarily, even though he did acknowledge the giant and he was not in denial of the giant, he was much more focused on the Lord of Heaven's army. So that's where we're going to go next week. Now let's read 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 58. And I'm going to pray for us right now that as we read through this, we're going to read through it in the NLT, as we read through it, that God will give us fresh eyes. That God will... I'm typing because I had to shut down my computer and now I'm having to bring up the text again. Let me just pray. Dear Father, I thank you so very much for this day. I thank you for how you're working in my life. I thank you for all that you taught me when I was teaching through this in 2016. Dear God, it has been over five years since I was staring at this on a weekly basis. And I just think back to all the ways that you had me apply this in my life during that season of time. How often that you reminded me 
to focus on the Lord of Heaven's armies, to quit focusing on the giants that were around me. And dear God, I pray that for each person who's going to tune into this service, into this series, I pray, dear Father, that you would work miracles in our lives, dear God, that you would help us. Help us to get our eyes off of all the obstacles, whether they may may be physical, human obstacles. They may be obstacles in our mind. They may be obstacles from our past. They may be hurts that we've carried forward. Dear God, each of us have giants in our lives. And they are keeping us from becoming all you created us to be. I pray, dear Father, as I read through this text and as we study this for the next few months, I pray, dear Father, that you would open up spiritual eyes and ears, that you would help each of us to see first and foremost the most important part, that you would help us to see that you are the Lord of heaven's armies and there is absolutely no giant who can stand against you. Dear God, may we come to know you more. May we come to love you more. May we come to fear you more. But dear God, may we come to rest in you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 17. You can read it from whichever translation you choose. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. The Philistines, so the Philistines were the primary enemies of Israel at this time. And Saul, again, had not been a great leader for Israel, but he had helped them when it came from a military standpoint of making some headway when it came to the Philistines. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped near Sukkoth in Judah and Azekah in Ephesdemon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. And that was, that was normal for that time. So we think of more like warfare in our day and time. And it is so very different. I mean, <laughs> you got to realize we're not talking about times of technology we were talking about hand-to-hand -hand combat with some weapons involved if you had them. And oftentimes what would happen is they would send out their top fighter and that would be the dual, you know, that would be the beginning point. And that's where this comes in. So verse 4, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. I know we cannot even imagine that. I know I cannot imagine that because I'm a whopping little over five feet. So almost double me. That just is uh, more than my little brain can handle. But I do know that there are people in this day and time who are extremely large in different parts of the world. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. 
his covering weighed more than some of the people who are listening to this podcast. He also wore bronze leg armor and carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. We're going to look at more of this in a couple of weeks when we're looking at giants, and specifically the giant in this story. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then you will then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. And we will talk about that in a future lesson. So here we go. Here's how David enters the picture. David is not coming into the picture, you know, being sent from home to come fight against the Philistine champion. David is sent as the errand boy by his daddy to help feed his brothers who are fighting. Now, David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at this time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three eldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shimei, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shout and shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out with, from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I just, I'm sure I've read that before, but it just caught me for whatever reason. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? <coughs> Excuse me. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. 
He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. I don't know if you noticed it, but Goliath is not the only giant in this story. Did you notice another giant? Well, the attitude of David's older brother and how that might very well have affected David, that would be something we will talk about in the future. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous. I'll reply, there's no way you can fight this Philistine. It possibly would. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion, and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag, then armed only with the shepherd, his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine wasn't exactly correct. He was armed with much more than the stones and his staff and sling, but we'll talk more about that next week. He also had another giant that was involved in that, and what was that? Saul tried to put on him his armor, and thankfully David was wise enough to realize that he wasn't suited for that. So many times, the giant that we struggle with are the expectations of somebody else. And we can live our entire lives not being who God created us to be because we try to walk in the armor, so to speak, of another. 41, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his little g-gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath. And there is verse 45, which is our key verse from this text for this week. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And that will, again, be our verse for next week. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will cut you. I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. 
So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath, used it to kill him and cut off his head. In the last few verses, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and the wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sherem as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose son is this young man? I really don't know, Abner declared. We'll find out who he is, the king told him. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse, and we live in Bethlehem. How in the world did Saul not realize that this was David, the young man who had played the harp for him when he was feeling down? I don't know. We're not given that information in the story. The story that is so very familiar to so many. And yet, there are so many layers to it. But more importantly, there are so many applications to the lives we lead today. As we walk through parts of this text, as well as many other texts throughout the Bible, in the coming weeks. Next week we talk about focusing on the Lord of Heaven's armies. Then we're going to talk about the importance of acknowledging the giant. You don't stare at the giant. You have got to be focused on the Lord of Heaven's armies, but that doesn't mean you ignore that there's a problem. We're going to talk about some giants. And then each week after that, we're going to talk about whatever giant it may be. For instance, the giant of grief. Some of you who are listening to this podcast are so overwhelmed by the giant of grief that you are not all that God has created you to be. We all deal with grief, but some deal with death or losses of relationships that are so far beyond what the majority of us do. And I am so sorry. May God use that particular lesson for you to find healing and for God to use even what could be the darkest days of your life as part of your testimony, of part of how God uses you to comfort others. We'll definitely have a week regarding the giant of expectations. And we will talk about many other giants. Giant of unforgiveness. But I look forward to the ones that you send in that we'll just add to our list. And we'll keep going. We'll keep going until God turns the direction. And I feel as though we have looked at 
a good set of the giants that we face. But most importantly, we are reminded that there is not one giant. Physical, human, past, expectations, hurts, hang-ups, heartaches. There are no giants that can stand against the Lord of Heaven's armies. We're going to read from the NIV because, just primarily because of the wording in verse 37 of Romans 8. The Apostle Paul, in one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, has this section where he talks about many of the greatest challenges we have in this life. And yet, in the original language, what we see as more than conquerors is, is one word. And it's more like the super conquerors. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? Everything, that's, everything that he has said so far in chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who ra was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, listen to these giants, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, and so much more, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of giants there, but not one of them has power in comparison to the Lord of Heaven's armies. Not one. Not one. There is no giant that you are facing that does not bow to the Lord of Heaven's armies. Our weekly assignment is I want you to memorize our focal verse. I want you to read each day Romans 8.37. You do not have to read it out of the NIV. It just happens to match the title, More Than Conquerors. You memorize it and read it out of whichever translation works for you. 
But let me read it again to us, and then let me pray it over us. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Dear Father, I pray this verse over every person who is within the sound of my voice. I pray, dear God, that no matter what giant that we are facing or will face, Dear God, remind us that you, the Lord of Heaven's armies, is the all-powerful, all-knowing one. And dear God, you can give us the victory if we will just surrender to you. Through you, we are more than conquerors. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to close with, just as I grew up hearing the story of David and Goliath, I grew up hearing the hymn, Victory in Jesus. And I know this may be a song you have heard hundreds of times, but I ask you to just take a moment and let it sink in. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. In what areas of your life do you need to claim victory in Jesus? What are those giants that you've been staring at? That it's time to see God take down. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary. To save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then i cried dear jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow jesus came and brought to me the victory. And I heard about a mansion 
He is built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. Above the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ever I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And may you claim the victory that is in Jesus. Remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.